0: Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, where you find me, Chris Bound, the editor of Hotel Analyst, sitting with Andrew Sangster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst, to talk through three kind of areas that we uh, believe are of interest, particularly at the moment in the hotel investment space. As ever, this is an audio version to go with a slightly more detailed written version that we produce for our subscribers called our Hotel Analyst Perspective, available each week. If you'd like to know more about that and how you might get hold of a copy and read it please tip along to our website hotelanalyst.co.uk for more. Now the first topic this week we're going to look at is uh, the whole business of the momentum of the market seeming to be improving. Certainly there seems to be a feeling that some more deals are being done, there's more people prepared now to put money into the market as things start to open up and cash starts to flow once more Uh, some of this is driven by businesses still keen to improve their liquidity Uh, some of that may be just uh, to help stay afloat some of that may be a sort of defensive but offensive move because they see opportunities out there in the market and if only they've got a little bit more cash in their pockets then maybe they'll be able to get out there and play and take advantage uh, so some of the deals we've just seen um, recently, which are are, are quite interesting, uh, are the uh, the London operator PPHE has done a deal where they've uh, split off uh, one existing standing hotel and one hotel project in both in London. Uh, they've sold a stake in those uh, to a joint venture partner, an insurance company called Clal from Israel, that's raised them 113 million pounds in cash to improve their balance sheet uh, but it also means that they're then a bit of a pl- better place to look at other opportunities going forward. We've also seen Bain Capital Credit partner with Orca Investments to buy, uh, buy a hotel and apartments in Park Lane which they'll be refurbishing and a newcomer to the hotel space, Castle Forge Partners, a private equity investor who likes the look of certain types of hotels in and around the UK. They've bought one in uh, in Edinburgh and they've bought another one in Cardiff recently, the Hilton in Cardiff. They like the look of those kind of mid-market hotels where they see uh, the expanding middle class internationally travelling much more in the medium term and they think there's going to be a good future for those kind of properties. So it does feel uh, as though there's a bit more activity and a bit more confidence returning to the market.
1: Yeah absolutely and this fits in with our narrative we've had for well 12 months I guess now really since the, we got stuck into the uh, um, the depths of the, the downturn caused by the shutdowns etc. The lockdowns that were imposed by various governments and indeed the the subdued trading which occurred in countries like Sweden where there was not so much a lockdown as just a widespread fear about the virus. Um, So that narrative really says uh we are not going to see a huge number of distressed bargains out there because of the weight of money Uh, what we are going to see are strategic uh, purchasers, and strategic purchasers i think are going to be more advantaged in this um, upswing than they have historically been and perhaps well placed to do something um, rivaling some of the private equity who um, have braced Uh, still quite a bit of cash on the basis of acquiring distressed assets but i think most of those funds are not going to be able to do what they've told the investors um, that they're going to be able to do and this week uh, private equity player kkr announced it has raised uh, 2.2 billion us dollars for a new europe uh, focused real estate fund and this is across all asset classes of real estate but the four that were mentioned i thought were quite interesting they mentioned housing they mentioned warehouses uh, both broadly seen as covid winners i'd suggest mm-hmm. and the other two they mentioned were offices and hotels again uh, broadly seen as covid losers um the fund itself is not looking at distress It's adopting what the fund managers call a value add strategy it's looking to put cash to work to invest in property that um, is is also going to require additional investment to reposition the property to exploit its full pot- potential. Um, I think this supports our narrative that you know people aren't going out there looking for distress anymore. Um, there is simply too much money chasing deals that prices just ain't going to plummet um, as perhaps as they did during, say. Uh, the 1990s uh, recession so I I, I think you know and if we look at where we are in terms of the recovery I think we're going to see those deals which are done sooner rather than later are going to be looking the best um, as we come out of this and obviously it's a very difficult thing to kind of judge uh, whether people are overpaying or not but uh, it's hard to see there being any bargains at all, and uh, I suspect prices are going to move up um, quite quickly as we get fully into the recovery. Uh, if we look at uh, um, that recovery, I think our position here at Hotel Analyst is that it's going to get stronger quicker than consensus. So we're particularly saying, look. Business travel is going to recover quicker than most in the market are giving credit for. So rather than sort of 2025, which is when the the Global Business Travel Association is suggesting that we get back to full um, levels of sort of pre-pandemic levels of business travel, I think it's much more likely to, to be sort of 2023, um, maybe even the tail end of 2022. Um, I think the full uh, intercontinental bit of business travel will will struggle um but i think certainly intercontinental um uh, as in within a continent travel so pan-european and north american travel that sort of stuff that that will be back to where it was i think by the end of next year um if G, the gbta took a survey last uh, month in june mid-june i think it published it um and they were talking um saying well actually uh if we look at the the rate of recovery there um, um 40% are saying it's going to be less than a year before it gets back um and maybe um and a further 26% a year to two years so that kind of the bulk of those respondents are kind of where we are at hotel analyst in terms of that that recovery um into that to be fair was was more around domestic business travel um the the international piece is, is still more challenging certainly the uh, you know when we talk about international we mean outside of a continent um, obviously within the u.s context they are pretty much the continent with the exception of uh, mm. canada um so i, I think there are re- good reasons for optimism there i i think the uh the challenge is going to be working out which bits are going to come back storming and and go ahead even faster and those bits which are going to be take longer and be have some uh, wider structural issues as we come out of this uh, trading um, hit Uh, there are areas I think where we're going to see very strong growth so I would suggest certainly extended stay hotels have had a very good pandemic and I think as we come out of this recession they're going to continue to outperform. Um, There are other areas so regional conference hotels where there were structural issues before we went into this downturn I think they're going to be even more exposed as we come out of that. So I think you have to be very careful with, with that as certainly there is a case that you know the rising tide will float most boats it's just that some will be more buoyant than others i think and particularly buoyant will be the likes of extended stay less so those regional conference hotels and we'll probably see a few of those get repurposed we'll also see other um smaller um independent hotels disappear as well but we'll see growth with with new properties coming in and I think some things have simply been oversold um um, if you believe that we're going to get a a good return um in terms of business travel and international travel we will see say airport hotels come back pretty strongly as well um I mean this week um Heathrow Airport opened its second runway and it's going to um reopen normal operations at Terminal 3 um this was shut back in May 2020 things like that I think are clear signals that there's belief we're going to get back to to things as they were we're going to go talking a a bit more about that uh, later but uh, i i'm i'm pretty positive about this and i think the deal flow that we're seeing right now is just a forerunner of what's to come i think this is going to be one of the biggest this is not going to be a recovery like we saw post the uh, global financial crisis where it was a real trickle back i think we're going to see a much stronger surge as thing as it becomes clear which i think it will do towards the end of this year that things are back to normal um, at that point people are going to start writing their checks
0: right now we're going to t- start talking about hostels and um one of the problems with uh, with hostels uh, where as, as the pandemic started uh, spreading out around the world was that frankly nobody wanted to share a room with a stranger um <laughs> all of a sudden and we all wanted to be behind our own front front doors which kind of uh, favored uh holiday rentals villas and uh service departments so those suddenly that that hotel that hostel room with uh Half a dozen strangers sharing uh, sharing a, a bunk space looked a pretty scary place. And of course, uh, then to add add to that, then a lot of the uh, European ho- hotel and hostel accommodation market at large was in lockdown for various months of of the, uh, the last year. So it hit the hostel operators pretty hard. Um, obviously, quite a few of them are uh, owned by private equity. Uh, some of them have had to refinance. Um, Queensgate, that owns the Generator brand, uh, did a major refinancing in March. Uh, Safestay, who is a UK listed uh, operator of European hostels, uh, has had to resort to one or two uh, uh, moves to to draw in cash, including selling its uh, Edinburgh hostel recently. Uh, But hopefully uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Um, These hostel brands are going to recover. Uh, Youngsters, vaccinated or not, will start getting out and travelling again. And uh, hostels should hopefully benefit from that kind of broadening of the consumer's mindset as regards what is an appropriate place to stay. Uh, One of the... uh, Interesting things that's just happened though is that Louvre Hotels, the big uh, French operator owned by Xinjiang of China, have quietly launched out uh, their own hostel brand called Hosho which uh, they've launched into uh, the Paris market, that's where their first site is. And the question now arises of of whether this is uh, perhaps an indication that uh, every big hotel group may be giving a a bit of a closer look at the hostel sector and could this be the next thing you must have in your locker.
1: uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I, th- I think we mentioned airport hotels as being oversold. And I think hostels are an- another area which are perhaps oversold at the minute as well. I think they will come back very strongly next year, um, and there are signs of that. I think a key marker for this is going to be what happens to mining.er um, Just before uh, we went into lockdowns in Europe in March, uh, they they had that they were just about to. Um, IPO um, that was pulled They'd had a sale process that got um, curtailed at the end of uh, 2019 in favor of this IPO and now that didn't go ahead and it's it's what happens here I think as as they come out and I suspect that next year we will see some sort of corporate activity um, involving mining. now I don't think it's going to be a uh, one of the global brand majors coming in here to try and keep up with the likes of Louvre or Accor which has its Joe and Joe and um, we've also got Motto which is very much an upmarket sort of entry to the sort of shared room uh, experience um, Hilton's Motto brand I, I, um, I don't think any of those big global majors are going to be after mining it because of their leased right, portfolio yeah. it could be could be private equity um, but it could be an IPO and I think I mean I I think for the hostile subsector an IPO will be the best thing uh, because it will bring a great deal of more attention and focus on it and exploit its potential the sector has been shouting about for a long while look we're although our um what we make per customer is lower what we make because of the density of our customers um you know per square meter of our properties is we make a better return than traditional hotels that's been the claim um certainly a listing will put that very much into the 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 public eye i mean safe stay certainly there but it's on the sort of lesser aim market it doesn't have as rigorous reporting standards it's not as big a Meininger, you know which will have or it's plans to have 34,000 beds by 2024 um, um, including some in the US I think Meininger will be quite an interesting one if it can come to market and really you know test the water for this subsector.
0: Now we're finally, it looks like we may may finally, finally be getting to start to meet again in decent numbers uh, for face-to-face meetings. Um, There's been a raft of uh, experimental events taking place in the UK uh, and of course, as we as we record this there's about to be uh, lots and lots of informal group meetings around TV sets to watch England pay the latest uh, round of the Euros uh, this very evening Um, but uh, it would appear from the various research programs that have been carried out that uh, very very few cases of Covid breakouts at larger events with a larger number of attendees both indoors and outdoors and uh, Following up when with uh, our government in the UK finally saying, right, we're going to open everything up and, and ease all the rules, it does feel like we'll actually start to get uh, some decent meetings and events business going again. Uh, great news for hotels, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that the uh, the health authorities um, are saying that it's not really the big event itself. It's the smaller meetups that happen around the big events that are causing the problem. So it's not so much all those um, Scottish football fans that came down to Wembley to watch, Eng- you know, watch the match against England. It was all the parties afterwards, before and afterwards, that, that could mm-hmm. create the the. Sp- the COVID spread, and you know, if if if, if what we've heard is correct, that sort of a thousand plus people have the, since tested positive. Um, since that, there is some concern around that. But I think the key part is that the the, the infection rate going up is not. Uh, you know the, the link where that 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 this leads directly into hospitalization and death has been broken in in as much as is much much lower levels of uh, of hospitalization and death as the infection rates rise so they're already talking about potentially higher levels of infection in the uk than we have yet seen so they're talking hundred thousand plus infections a day occurring um which is will be troubling but it providing we don't see the hospitalization and deaths um, everything should remain okay and we won't see any uh, any further lockdown so it's really a, it's a sort of worrying sort of couple of months um, we've also got uh, you know because the the inevitably patchy way things are being opened up um, so we've got a situation with um, um, people having to self-isolate uh, at the moment in England the, r- the rule is going to be that we uh, um, you will have to self-isolate once if you've had contact with a, um, somebody who's tested positive for COVID even if you've had two uh, jabs um, but from August the 16th that requirement will disappear and you'll simply be required to go and have a test just in case I'm not even sure that's going to be mandatory and and legally enforced um, so um, there's a bit of pressure saying well look this is ridiculous why can't we have this situation introduced on July the 19th when we are fully opening up anyway and certainly the hospitality industry has huge problems with that they're they're closing down um, whole um, bars and restaurants and other facilities um, because teams are going off wholesale where one member has tested positive quite probably not caught it at work but caught it somewhere else but that still leaves the whole team going off Um, and there is the UK Hospitality Association saying, look, let's have a test and release uh, program here to help that. But I think we're gonna have a lot of lumpiness over the next few months. Um, I think it's gonna be very lumpy in the UK and even lumpier um, on in continental Europe where we're seeing the uh, the case rates rise quite dramatically. Spain and France are already porting, uh, reporting quite high levels of uh, infections, still not quite the level of, of the UK, but they're, they're rising quite significantly and of course they don't have populations as well vaccinated as the UK's so potentially we will see more hospitalizations and deaths which make it more likely they will introduce some some restrictions there so I think it, it, it's going to be a wobbly little period and I, I, I think in terms of you know I have to say I, I had initially developed this whole hope that we would have a genuine freedom day it is it's not looking like that at all I think we're just going to see a, a gradual end it's going to be a lingering lingering hangover from covid which will just gradually the lift um as we get into the autumn um, um, you know and i hope um, i think the uk is looking good uh, continental europe there it, it's still going to be touch and go i think in terms of whether some of those health services are going to be in a fit position to to be fully have society fully open um by the winter because of course we have the seasonal flu and everything else coming back at that point likely to be a, a worse than usual seasonal flu as well because we haven't had it for some time so um you know uh it, it could be a a tricky period i think for the next few months but uh uh we we are at least heading in the and, right uh, direction
0: great to see, uh, in, the, in the newspapers and say that the uh the, the Cannes film festival is taking place once more so um you know so it's life's, life's only feeling yeah. a little bit yeah. more normal right now i think it's going to be governments and covid that's perhaps going to dominate our uh, five star and no star awards
1: this week as well okay yeah. andrew awarding the gong too <laughs> <laughs> well on, on the five star side it is that the the uk government has now signaled quite clearly that we are uh, going to have to live with covid it's it as we've described it for uh, a long while now here on this podcast it's an endemic disease we have to um um, adjust how we do business to cope with it um, and we just have to factor it in and vaccinations enable us to get back to business pretty much as it is the UK government's recognized that we now have a new health secretary in the UK Sajid Javid the former chancellor of the exchequer who is making it clear this is the way forward let's open up um, which is great news and there's a clear fight of course the,
0: uh, the flip side of that is, uh, is perhaps you know the other end of the scale is uh, what's going on in Australia. Australia where we're awarding no stars really to the Australian government who continue to uh, push push forward with their policy which is to try and completely eliminate COVID from their country. Uh, One of the things they've had to do in the last week or so is actually cut international arrivals because they don't have enough quarantine hotels to uh, house all the incoming arrivals who they insist must be quarantined in a hotel before they can be let loose into the general populace and of course at the same time they've had a slight rise in um, COVID rates and have put several of their major cities into a very strict lockdown again so uh, tough times for the australians Um, i don't know how long they're going to keep going with this kind of zero tolerance for covid um, but it's a distinct contrast to what's coming going on in uh, in Western Europe and Australia and and, and America.
1: Yeah, and it's not ju- it. It's not just Australia across. It's New Zealand. It's Taiwan. It's uh, 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 South Korea. Um, all of these countries have decided. Look we want to just eliminate COVID but that that's I mean I, I think it's certainly going to preserve life to a greater extent but I think it's going to make them coming out of it tougher especially if they can't convince their populations to go and get vaccinated because one of the key drivers for getting vaccinated certainly in the UK has been you can actually we can get back to a normal life once the majority Mm -hmm. of us are vaccinated um and that's been a key push for that and I think there is a an element in where you know there's a sense in which well why do I need to bother going to get vaccinated if we don't have it we just have to keep it out um but the trouble is that means that you are sealed off forever um so so you you have to at some point you know face that and and deal with it so uh, um, certainly you know I hope they're, they're not going to have anywhere near the the level of deaths that we have, have suffered here in Europe or indeed in, in, in North America but uh, um, I, I, I still think there will be a, a significant level of outbreaks as also we've seen um, with these new variants the Delta variant et al um, Uh, you can still be infectious even if and get infected even if um, you've been vaccinated so the efficacy about these uh, vaccines is that they stop you dying they stop you getting seriously ill but you can still get ill and there will be people that die with covid who are really ill anyway Um, and and so you know that you will see this sort of COVID linked deaths um, rise quite dramatically in these territories I suspect as they you know once they bite down on the stick and say okay we've got enough vaccinated people now we're going to start opening up again so it's going to be a a tricky one and I think this is one of the my reasons for hesitation around true global international travel again I think we'll see the link between the UK, uh, between Europe and the US, that that will open up. Um, I think the pan-European thing will open up. The you know it's already got travel is resuming very rapidly in 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 the US. I think we'll we'll see those come back. But it's that intercontinental piece. Um, you know, certainly Europe and the US to Asia, which is critical economically, and and that's going to take the the longest, I suspect, yeah. to to come back. Um, but um, I, I you know. I am I went to um, mm,
0: yeah, one yeah. quick anecdote I, I'm going to throw the one in end. as well I went so to yeah, Wimbledon
1: yeah, <laughs> I went to Wimbledon last week and uh, it was really great to see just how life can be back to normal very quickly um, there were hard i mean I, I would say less than ten percent um, of people were wearing masks everybody was quite happy to throw them off even although this officially the staff were meant to be wearing them I, there were a number of people i uh, catering staff especially I noticed who weren't wearing masks and uh, you know whilst you might think that's a, a, a naughty thing to do uh, and under the regulations it is it is clear that most people want to get back to doing things as normal and uh, to get to get rid of most of this this stuff um, that we've had to um, endure Um, so that's a very encouraging I think atmosphere I mean one other one further point um, which sort of reinforced when we talked about socks last week on the uh, podcast Chris in terms of the opportunity for delivering a higher end experience the one thing I did notice about going around Wimbledon this time around because they cut capacity it was a much Mm, more pleasant experience when I went about three years ago it was absolutely Jammed, um, and it was quite unpleasant. It was just too crowded, and frankly, I'd pay <laughs> double the price for my tickets. Only half the if, number of people went. Yeah. That yeah. wasn't yeah. so. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, and I think there is that, and you know, there are you know within these these experiences that you know th- that we're going to be offering within hospitality, people will pay more money if you can deliver a better experience. And I, I just don't think at that higher end, where there's been enough um, done to. Uh, E- explore the you know potential new businesses that are out there delivering Well, a
0: quick anecdote from me: I, I was just speaking to my uh, my neighbours, my retired neighbours earlier, and uh, they've booked to go on a cruise around Iceland uh, in about four or five weeks' time. So um, uh, I'm sure they'll have a great time. And I, but I can't help thinking that there'll be some Australians and, uh, and New Zealand residents still in eighteen months, two years' time, dreaming of being able to fly off to do a cruise um where will Mm. it end Mm. anyway on that happy note of uh traveling and enjoying big events once more uh we'll say goodbye for now